Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, I'm joined by Landon Donovan, who discusses a range of topics, including why he came out of retirement to play for Club León, his lifelong connection to Mexico and Mexican-Americans, what he's capable of in pure soccer terms these days, and how he feels about Carlos Cordero winning the U.S. soccer presidential election. In the end, there were probably three or four people I would personally would have been okay with had they become the president, one of whom was Carlos Cordero. What I was worried about and what I think a lot of people in the soccer world were worried about was one of the other four people becoming president and what that might have meant for U.S. soccer. All that and more coming up. Our guest today is Landon Donovan. He's the all-time leader in goals and assists for the U.S. men's national team as well as Major League Soccer. He won six MLS Cup titles, the most in league history, and he recently came out of retirement to join Club León in Mexico. Landon, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Grant. Good to talk to you. Yeah, uh, lots to talk about here, uh, but uh, you did get back on the field uh, recently in a competitive game uh, for Lyon for the first time in more than a year. How did it feel to get back on the field in a competitive game? Tiring. Um, <laughs> it's anytime you've been away from any real exercise at that level for a long time, it's, it's pretty tiring. And then uh, throwing in the altitude the 6,000 feet altitude here in Leon was um, was difficult, but it was exciting and it was fun and um, I, I enjoyed it. It was a short 10 minutes then and excited to to have more of it. But it was it was a lot of fun to get back out and do what I've been doing for most of my life. I got a simple question for you. Uh, maybe not a simple answer. Maybe it is. Why did you want to come back and play for Leon? Well. It's not a it's a simple question, not a simple answer and, and it wasn't a slam dunk yes and it wasn't a slam dunk no when it happened. Um I was home very happy in retirement with my family in San Diego, um, enjoying life, doing what I wanted when I wanted more or less, and I got a phone call from my agent, uh, Richard Motskin asking if I had any remote interest in playing again. And I said, no, thanks. You know, I appreciate it, but no. And I said, okay, well, just so you know, a team in Mexico called and asked if you would have any interest in it and kind of left it at that. And so I went to sleep, didn't think much of it. The next day he called back and he said, listen, they're they're really interested in having you come. Um, They're looking for a player that's, got experience and someone who can help them on the field, help them off the field, and they would they would really like the chance to speak to you. And it, it sort of developed a little bit from there. Um, I, you know, maybe gave it a 1% chance at that point and, and, and told them I would keep an open mind about it. And as the day went on, uh, I thought about it. I spoke to my wife quite a bit about it. And they kept calling and reaching out. The owner called and wanted to speak to me. And um, in the end, it kind of goes to the power of, you know, going after something you want. And I give them a lot of credit for, you know, convincing me 
and and making me feel wanted and um I told my agent that I would I would make a trip down here to watch a uh, a cup game they had and kind of get to know the city a little bit and get to know the people involved and I would come with an open mind and sure enough the minute I got here I really fell in love with it and thought it would be a great opportunity for my family a great life experience and then fun to play soccer again with good soccer players so long-winded answer but that was sort of how it developed and that was the reasoning behind it. So how much time passed between the initial contact from Leon and your decision to play for him? Uh, it was less than a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's when anything, anytime something like that happens, there are a lot of details that need to get worked out, including, you know, where you're going to live. Is your family coming? Speaking to the coach, meeting the players, learning about the training setup and getting yourself fit. And there, I mean, there are a million things that go into that. So there was a lot of moving pieces. There were a lot of moving pieces. And it certainly wasn't easy, particularly on my wife and my family. But fortunately, um, I have an amazing wife and my kids are young enough where they don't really know what's going on um for them it's just an exciting adventure so we kind of figured our life is a little bit transportable in that way because most of the day we're home in san diego and whether we're home in san diego or leon doesn't make much difference to to my wife and my kids right now so we figured let's just go do something different and have a fun life experience is there something meaningful to you about wanting to play again when you still have the opportunity in your life, kind of uh, love of the game type feeling? Well, I'm. it's interesting because when you're away from it, and, and you know as we've spent time on different road trips doing Fox telecasts, um, you you see the game differently, and it's it's been enjoyable for me to be up in the booth commentating and watching the game and learning the game from a different perspective but you also get excited you know the game days make me excited when we're there in the mls playoffs or we're there at national team games the game days are exciting and that energy is cannot be replaced or manufactured anywhere else in life and so i have had some time to gather some perspective and realize that I'm 35, I'm going to be 36 soon. I can't, you know, I just physically, there's no way I could do this for many more years. So if it is something that in any way interests me, I should think about it seriously. And that was sort of the the processing that I went through. Um, Now, it's not like I was waking up every day wishing I could go play soccer again. I, I, I I had played enough and long enough and done enough in my career that I was satisfied, but there is something special about being able to go out on a soccer field every day and run around and and kick a ball, and I've really enjoyed it in the month that I've been here. You have always had an interest in the Mexican League. You learned to speak Spanish by playing with Mexican-American players as a kid. Had you ever come close to signing with a Mexican team in the past? I had um, in my my second stint that I went to Everton. I think it was 2011. 
Um, during that time, Club America had reached out to my agent and told him that they were they were very interested in having me come on a short term loan, like I went to like I did with Everton. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, I decided I was definitely interested in it. In the end, I, I decided to go to Everton. It was something I knew. I knew the people. It was an enjoyable experience the previous time. So that was the decision I made. But it was certainly something I had considered. And for long stretches of my career, although it was very intriguing, um, candidly, I was I I just was concerned from a safety perspective because I had said and done a lot of stupid things when I was young regarding the Mexican uh, soccer team and, and that the rivalry between the U.S. and Mexico. And I just didn't know how it would be received. And I think as you get older and you have perspective and experience, um, I realized that if not for that rivalry and if not for growing up playing with Mexicans, I wouldn't be the player I was. I wouldn't have had the... Um, the success I've had, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy playing as much in those rivalry games. I wouldn't have learned to speak Spanish. I mean, there's so much that I can credit to the Mexican culture and society and people. And so when this opportunity came about, uh, that was a big piece of it too. Um, you know, candidly, if this had happened, if, if the opportunity had come about somewhere else, I'm not sure I would have I would have agreed to do it. I think the opportunity to come to Mexico and learn Mexico in a different way was something that that was intriguing to me. You did make a point of saying when you joined Leon that you don't believe in walls. What did you want to communicate by saying that? Unfortunately, as you know, when you travel a lot too, people perceive us as being the same as our politicians, and in particular, presidents, right? And so, unfortunately, everywhere I go these days, it's, you guys are all racist, you all hate Mexicans, you hate Africans, you hate um, everybody else in the world, and, and everybody assumes we are like our president. And I just wanted to make sure that I was very clear with, um, how I feel. I grew up in Southern California, so I have an affinity for not only Mexicans, but all Latin Americans. And I'm also a, you know, my family is Canadian and came to America many years ago. My dad came to America many years ago. So while um, I can understand some people's political point of views and not wanting open borders, um, I've benefited greatly from it in many different ways. And I know many, many, many hundreds if not thousands of people who are great either um, have become Americans or just contribute greatly to the American society and so I wanted the people here to know where I stood on that and and make it very clear because like I said the perception is always that you are whoever your president is and um, in that particular case I certainly disagree and I wanted to to make that be known. My sense has always been that even though Mexican fans often targeted you when you were playing for the United States in the stadiums, there was also a real respect from them as well. I remember back to 2002 when the Mexican national team coach gave you 
you his third place vote for FIFA's World Player of the Year, that year of the World Cup quarterfinals for the U.S., when you were just 20 years old. Have you sensed that duality as well from Mexico fans, the, the targeting you, but also the respect? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very clear, and it's become very clear as I've gotten older, that there are sort of two faces of the Mexican fan, and, and it's probably any sports fan. There's the face you see when you're in the stadium in Azteca playing, you know, playing Mexico, and rightfully so, you're the enemy that day, and they're going to do what they can to intimidate you and make you feel a certain way. And then the other side of that is any time I've been anywhere uh, in the in the states, in Mexico, anywhere, and I come across a Mexican. They're polite, they're respectful, they're appreciative, um, and they're nice people. And so uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that piece of it because when I would just travel to Mexico to play games, you, you start to get the sense that that's what Mexico is and that's what the Mexican people are. But the reality is, is like we are in the States, they're passionate about their sports and that's the way they... They act when they're in the stadium, just like many of our American fans do in the stadium. But off the field, they, there was a there was a respect, and it's mutual, and it goes both ways. And um, that's an, another reason why it's been nice to be here and experience that. There was a huge crowd. Literally thousands of Leon fans came out for your presentation when you joined the team. How did you experience that? I was shocked by it. And... When I made this decision, I was I was hesitant and a little bit scared because I didn't know how it was going to be received. And, you know, I'm, I'm old enough and I've been through enough in my career that you don't worry about what people say or how people think, but it's part of my life here. So if the, if the people had responded negatively, I would have had to think about that seriously and consider it because you don't want to be somewhere where you're just disliked or hated but the opposite happened and so i showed up on a monday i think i arrived about 6 p.m the plane arrived about 6 p.m and i went straight to the stadium and they had it set for 9 p.m on a monday night and i walked out into the stadium and there were i think they said there were 7,000 people a whole side of the stadium was filled with people cheering and i mean i must have been out there maybe 15 minutes so people took time on a monday night when i'm sure they had work school etc on tuesday to come out and show me that i was welcomed and i've always been the type of player but more so the type of person that performs well and wants to reciprocate when when i feel that way and so i'm i'm eager to get on the field and to reciprocate are there any good stories about how your teammates have welcomed you i think you know probably for them just like for me it's been a little bit of uh i can't believe this is really happening because i i one because i've been retired but two just the fact that i'm in mexico playing here when they all know that i've been um one of the enemies for so long is is just strange so um i i've been really really pleasantly surprised and i guess i shouldn't be but by how 
I've been received by the team and the players. And as we've gotten more comfortable with each other, there are certainly moments where they can say things and bring up things in the past and things that have happened um, in a joking way or in a fun way. But it's been really enjoyable for me to get to know some of these guys. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough now where most of them I've never played with or mm. played against, but a couple I have, and, and so that's been enjoyable. In pure soccer terms, what has been the hardest thing to get adjusted to in terms of playing again? But just the physical piece of it, because and it's not just the running. I could run at home for five weeks, but you're still not soccer fit, and then at altitude, it's a whole different level. So the second day I trained, um, we did some drills where we did, it's, you know, there, there are two big goals with goalies and you just play 1v1 against the player. And so, you know, you try to score and if you don't score, the other guy gets the ball and they try to score against you. And after like seven seconds, I was exhausted just because, you know, physically confronting someone like that is so different than even running or training. And then you throw in the altitude too. So that piece of it is just getting my physical elements back has been the hardest part and it's i think we're a month in and just now do i feel like i'm i'm physically able to to perform at the level that i want to in terms of expectations down there is there a sense from you of what those expectations are are they sometimes too high from fans and media and and what's realistic for people to expect from you at this stage of your career and what you can do on the field I look at it maybe different than other differently than other people do. For me, the expectation is winning. And so I'm not worried about if I score, how I play, if I can still run the same way, if I'm getting assists. I want to help win and I and I said that to the coach when I spoke to him the first time. I don't want to come in and be the guy who's taking someone's spot or who's being a distraction for the team. I just want to help, and I, I don't need accolades. I don't need those things. I, would, I, I want to lift a trophy and, and be a part of something like that that's special. So any way I can do that, I want. Now, you know, from the outside, I don't know what people are expecting or what they think, but my expectation is to help in any way I can, even if it's you know at halftime I'm helping a young player position himself better so in the second half he doesn't get beat and we don't get scored on or you know things like that so that's where my mindset is i mean at this point in your career do you think in terms of can you be a 90 minute player is that realistic i haven't thought about it much but as you asked the question i can be a 90 minute player just probably not you know 35 times a year right so if there are games where that's what's asked for. Of course I can do it. It's what I've done my whole life. But if you ask me to do it three times in a week, that's probably not going to happen or not with a, not with a high quality of play. So um, again, the objective is to help. And if that means five minutes a game or half hour a game or 45 or 60 minutes a game, then, then that's, that's how I want to help. I mean, there've been a couple of rough moments so far in this season for Leon. Um, Obviously, you have a situation in Mexico where there's not one season per year. There's two seasons per year. Is that kind of hard to get adjusted to? And, and how do you approach that if you go through a rough stretch like Leon has had? Yeah, it's much different because in a, in a typical MLS season, if you have a patch of three or four bad games, 
you just chalk it up to three or four bad games and you know you figure out how to get better and improve but it doesn't necessarily mean your season's over but here with 17 games you know we've had a stretch now where of our last five league games i think we've lost three and tied one that we sh- you know, a team we should have beaten at home and so all of a sudden you find yourself in 12th place with eight teams making the playoffs and because of that um you know there's there's pressure involved and and the players feel it and the town feels it and the fans feel it and so it's it's an adjustment and it's more akin to the NFL really than it is to a soccer season because you have so few games so every point is really crucial every game is really crucial and so that's been an adjustment and the team the team hasn't performed well um in a few of the games I've been here and um it's it's been a it's been a difficult stretch um but you learn pretty quickly what people are about in these times so the good news for me is I'm learning a lot about my teammates and the staff and the coaches and the the attitude remarkably has been pretty upbeat um considering and it's you know, it's one of those places where I think I can help because I've been through patches like this. A lot of these players probably haven't, and that's it's where I try to exert some of my experience, experiential leadership, and and try to make a difference. There's been lots going on uh, here in the U.S. in terms of the U.S. soccer presidential election, which just took place. It was won by Carlos Cordero. At one point, you were considering running. For U.S. soccer president, decided not to. Are you glad you decided not to? <laughs> well, I think at one point everyone in America was considering running, <laughs> um, so I don't put too much into it. But uh, am I glad? Yeah, I mean, I was—I'm not the right person to be the U.S. soccer president. I know that. Um, in the end, there were probably three. Or four people, I would have been. I would personally would have been okay with, had they been the, become the president. Um, one of whom was Carlos Cordero. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think I was worried. Of, what I was worried about, and I, what I think a lot of people in the soccer world were worried about, was one of the other four people becoming president, and what that might have meant for U.S. soccer. So. Um, it's really easy when you're sitting at home every day watching TV and sitting on the internet to pick apart U.S. soccer, to pick apart what's good and what's bad. But the reality is, is there's so much more involved, and 99% of the people have no idea what's involved on a real level. And so um, I think, I think in the end, the right person won. Um, Carlos is someone I've always gotten along well with someone who, despite what people, what fans think, is not the establishment, is not the, is not the same as Sunil in any way. Um, Carlos was the one person from everything I've heard who would stand up to Sunil in board meetings and stand up to, uh, for things he believed in, um, even if they were unpopular. And so uh, he is, I think a good choice for the job and I think he'll do a very good job. I just think it was probably more than anything time for change. Um, Sunil has done so much 
for soccer in this country, and he has literally dedicated his life to making this thing better. And most people in our in our soccer world are, you know, relatively new fans, and so they don't understand all that Sunil's done. And I certainly do, and he's going to be a big part of everything we do, probably until he decides to to not be, and um and it should be that way. And so he he should be respected for that, but I think everyone realized probably including Sunil as time has gone on, that it was time for change for everybody. And um, the change can be good if it's, if it's handled in the right way. Who were the four candidates you would have been okay with? I'm trying to decide whether I want to tell you or not. And not tell you, tell everybody. Right. <laughs> um, this is not necessarily an indictment on the four who I would not have been okay with. It's just that I didn't get to know enough from them. So I never spoke to Paul, uh, Mike Winograd. Mm-hmm. Um, I never spoke to Hope Solo in this circumstance. I briefly um, communicated with Paul Calagieri, and I briefly communicated with Winalda. Mm-hmm. Um, the other four reached out to me consistently and and asked questions and kind of pitched their um, their ideas. And I, I think, although Martino wouldn't have been the perfect choice in a lot of ways because of his lack of experience, I think his heart was in the right place, and I think he would have done a good job. Kathy Carter um, is someone I've respected for a long time and has done a lot for soccer in this country. Um, obviously had some conflicts of interest that that probably are what crippled her in the end. Um, Carlos, I I alluded to. And then I spoke quite a few times with Steve Gans, who um, I grew to like and respect quite a bit. And I think his heart was absolutely in the right place. And and this was something that that he was really passionate about. So so those four um, left a good impression on me. We heard the word change a lot during the campaign. In your opinion, what is most important that needs to change in U.S. soccer? Well, it's such a broad question because there's there's so many aspects to U.S. soccer. The part that I personally am most passionate about is youth development, um, and that goes for boys and girls, men and women. Um, I don't have the experience on the women's side, so... You know, there would be people much better suited to handling that. But for me, the part that I'm most passionate about and that I think we still have a long way to go with is the youth development part. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just see too many, too many really good players being developed around the world, and I can't for the life of me figure out why we aren't doing the same. And so that's, you know, that's... For me, my goal is I want to win a World Cup, right? Not as not as me a player, but as a U.S. soccer fan, I want to win a World Cup. And the way you do that is by developing players that can win a World Cup. And and I just don't think we've done a good enough job of it. What do you think U.S. soccer and MLS teams can do to be more welcoming to Latino and minority soccer playing communities in the United States? Again, this is a, it's a big question and it's, it, there's so much more nuance than I can give in a you know one minute answer. Right. So I'll preface it by saying that. But um, 
the door needs to be open for people to have the ability to play. And I am, I'm not the perfect example, but I am an example. When I was growing up, we could not afford to play on a club soccer team. Certainly not with the way pricing is now. There's no way we would have been able to. I had people who paid for me so I could play on a club team. I had um, a guy, our team manager, Mike Richardson, who would literally drive all over Southern California picking up seven or eight of us and then driving us home after practice two or three nights a week so that we could so that we could train and play with the team. Otherwise I wouldn't have I would have had no chance. So that should not be the case. There needs to be more access and more availability. And it's not for me, it's not availability to play club soccer. For me it's a availability just to be able to play soccer, period, and be seen. Mm-hmm. And so, if you know, club soccer is is what it is, and it's going to be what it always is. It's you know, I think some people have their hearts in the right place and good intentions, but a lot of people, let's just be honest, a lot of people are in it to to make a seventy or eighty or hundred thousand dollars salary and live a nice life, and don't really care about developing the kids. And you know, that's that's fine, and that's always going to be the case. But if we really do care about winning something one day, winning something meaningful, then there has to be more than that. And I think there there are a lot of different creative ways, many of which have already been talked about and spoken about, and people much smarter than me have already tried to implement um, that we can do to make that better. Um, but I would just, I would like to see it happen more often and, and, and more quickly. We're nearly wrapping up here. I appreciate you taking this much time. You're currently tied with Clint Dempsey as the all-time leading goal scorer for the U.S. men's national team. Do you have any interest in playing again for the national team? Well, nobody knows this, but the only reason I decided to play again was to get another goal. (laughs) Um, uh, I would... uh, Of course I have interest to play for the national team. Um, What I would say is, my interest at this point, considering there's nothing, no meaningful real games on the horizon, meaning qualifying or World Cups, that, and certainly by that point I will, even if I want to keep playing, my body won't allow me to. What I would be interested in is helping. And if, if the idea is that for the next couple of years there's going to be a group of young players that are being brought in to get experience and learn, I would love to be there to help them through it. Not even necessarily playing, but just being in camp to help them and use my experience um, to help them. And so if that's possible and, and whoever the coach is, is interested in that, I would absolutely love to do that and be a part of that. That would, that would be fulfilling for me. Who would you like to see as the next coach of the U.S. men's national team? Well, if it's asked as an open-ended, you know, anybody in the world, there are certainly a number of candidates. Personally, I would like to see an American. I think, I think they understand Americans as a general comment, understand the American player better. Uh, They understand the league better. They understand, um, the culture better. And it's better for the development of, of our coaches in this country to have, that experience. Um, so there are a few, there are a few coaches that I think, um, would fit that bill as Americans. If it's, if it's with the eye towards the future, 
then I think there there are a few in in the league now who have done a really good job and who would be who would be good choices. Um, so that would be you know that would be my preference. Any names in particular? I think um, Peter Vermees has been excellent in Kansas City. I got to know him a little bit last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Burhalter I think has done a really good job with very limited resources in comparison to some of the other teams. I think Greg Vanny's been terrific in Toronto. Caleb Porter has done a great job. Um, there are, you know, the times are much, much different. And now there are a number of good young American coaches who have really done a good job and they're more in tune with the modern game. And um, I think would be well suited to, to coach the national team. Lastly, are you having fun playing again? <laughs> I am. And it's there are days where it's hard because you've got 20-year-olds. You know, sometimes we we play 11 v 11 against the under 20 team, and the kids are. Just, I mean, they're literally just running circles around me, and it's uh, it's frustrating and it's hard because your body just doesn't move the same way. But you know, 95 plus percent of the time, it's really enjoyable to be out um, and just enjoying being on the field again working out in this way your body feels good you know emotionally and psychologically you feel good just because you're sweating every day and i wish the team were doing a little better and when the results turn um, it'll be even more fun but i I have really enjoyed it and i said to my wife the other day because we both we had a long chat and she's really enjoying it our kids are really enjoying it Um, i'm enjoying it so we we kind of looked at each other and said, should we do this for more than a year? And uh, we kind of laughed about it. But you never know. You know, if things go well and I feel good and my body still feels good and we're enjoying it here, then, you know, maybe it's something we just we just keep enjoying because you know, life, as you know, life is short. And if, if you're happy and, and it's a good experience and my kids can learn Spanish and we get uh, to experience a different culture have fun playing soccer, then why not do it? So, so far, so good. Landon Donovan, good luck at Club Leon, and thanks for speaking to the podcast. My pleasure, Grant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Landon Donovan, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it wherever you get your podcast. It really does help us if you do. And check out the new 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Fernando Palomo, Paul Tenorio, Sebastian Salazar, and Kevin Egan. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast. Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.